treating your need for healthcare news. We are NHE. News, views and insider truths from the heart of the healthcare sector. We are the NHE team. I'm Emily. I'm Matt. I'm Ilsa. And each episode, we will connect you to the people behind the UK health sector, sharing insights and innovation. This podcast is brought to you by Evo North, uniting leaders from the public and private sector to collaborate, share exciting innovations and build a stronger northern powerhouse together. So on today's NHE podcast, we're being hosted by myself, uh, Matt, and I'm with Emily. Hello. And across from on the sofas, we have uh, Mark Duman, who is uh, Chief Patient Officer at MD Healthcare Consultants, I believe is correct? That's correct. It's, you can, it's my own company, so I can make up my own job title. Fair enough. <laughs> Best way. I've tried to stick fancy titles in here. Yeah. Not managed to get to Supreme Overlord yet. Oh, no, <laughs> okay. Want it one day. One day, one day. Yeah. So welcome. Um, you. Can you start by telling us a little bit about the experience that you've had within the healthcare industry and your role now? Yeah, well, I'm a very old man compared to you youths, so I'm over 50, which I don't know what generation that puts me in, but uh, I qualified as a pharmacist in 1990, so in a different millennium, and uh, I worked, first of all, in paediatric oncology, children's cancer, which was very emotive, and running leukaemia clinics, I found that very hard, so I then went into the industry, the pharmaceutical industry, and worked there for a little bit, but that was too far away from patients, so I ended up, as many pharmacists do, in what we used to be called retail, but is now called community pharmacy, and I was always ridiculed by my my colleagues and staff because I would always want to talk to patients about their medicines taking so I thought to myself why have I trained for five years to say to people what's your address again which I really didn't think was a good use of my clinical skills so I was very into talking to patients and getting them to understand medicines especially because even now some 30 years later we still have a 50% non-adherence rate to medicines now we spend about 17 and a half billion pounds a year on medicines in the NHS that would result in about eight nine million quid actually not being taken appropriately so that's a massive amount of money I mean especially when we get an NHS that's spending what is it 150 billion so it's over 10% of the budget so I've been very interested from that time as a pharmacist I'm no longer registered but in the the, the psychology of healthcare uh, and I've left the NHS now but I still work with the NHS and uh, trying to very much get the NHS back to its focus on people and patients, not just KPIs and performance indicators. You know, let, let's look outwards more and let's not look upwards. Yeah, and sort of, I suppose, a lot of your expertise from the pharmacy side, from seeing that and coming in that way, as you say, probably impacts that side of it. It isn't just about sort of meetings and spreadsheets and going, yes, we've, we've met our target for this, let's not worry about the actual patient fact num- uh, numbers first. I suppose that probably has been quite an influence in because I know you've had quite a few non-executive um, director roles and stuff working with the NHS as well as your company and imagine yeah, that's influenced that yeah I mean it's, it's dead simple people say to me what do you do and I say to people I remind I try to be that little flag and says where's the patient in all this yeah. 10 years ago I got type 2 diabetes for 8 years I followed a very medical model of looking at what's called my HbA1c my blood glucose at my BMI I, your fat git as we say in Glasgow <laughs> Um, and despite being a pharmacist these numbers didn't mean anything to me and about two years ago I was sitting having breakfast I think having consumed a a tub of ice cream for breakfast (laughs) (laughs) not something I recommend but and I was looking at my then six year old daughter Sarah and I thought to myself if I continue to eat this way and I'm blessed in a way with type 
two because I can, 90% of us can reverse it yeah. by better diets. I thought, if I don't get this under control, I won't be at your wedding. And so I went to my GP and I said to him, stop talking to me about clinical numbers and all this stuff that really doesn't resonate with me, uh, even as a patient, and talk to me about things that matter to me. And that's being yeah. at my, wedding, my daughter's wedding, that's being able to walk and please God play with my grandchildren or be here. Mm-hmm. So I think sometimes we need to personalise healthcare a lot more. And that's what I often say in meetings is bring the person back into the meeting. Think It's marketing 101. Yeah. Think about the end user. Think about what's important to them, not what your product does or what your service does. Try and see things from a different perspective. So you're obviously an advocate for patient-focused care, which seems like a no-brainer. Seems yeah. like what should be happening anyway. Yeah. Why, why do you think this is the best approach then? Well, if we look at, for example, our, our utilisation of fast-moving consumer goods, right? We all eat too much, despite the fact that we know we shouldn't. And that's part of marketing. That's part of catering to our needs and catering to health psych- or to psychology. And there's something about if you create products and services that are more focused on the end user and hopefully good products and services, you're going to end up with a better product and better service. Um, how many children, how many adults don't like going into an MRI scanner? Because again, it's built as a machine, not built as an experience. We've just talked about medicines. How many people don't show up for appointments? How many people dislike dentists? Mm. Uh, no, no insult to dentists intended. <laughs> but there's that whole idea of we still continue to focus on things from a service perspective and we're not talking the language of patients and consumers. Um, it's also cheaper. Um, if you, There's a measure that I'm not a big fan of, but at least it's, it starts getting the idea out there of thinking about what's important to patients. It's called the patient activation measure. Uh, NHS England have bought into a big time a number of licenses but essentially level one is a patient who's really not interested so a passive recipient level four is an active participant and you can save between 8 to 21% of costs by moving a patient from level 1 to level 4. I'm not saying it's an easy thing to do. Yeah. I am sitting having lost some weight, but I have some more weight to lose. So it is behaviourally driven, but it's also cheaper for the service. And let's be honest, we need to move away from this whole, you know, I can eat, drink and be merry and the NHS will pick up the pieces. We need to focus on societal responsibility. I'm not here just advocating patient rights. I'm also talking about patient responsibilities. I'd love to see a medicine contract. The three of us sitting here have all got mobile phone contracts. I'm sure I've got a mortgage. I've signed all these different documents that sign me up to my side of a commitment. Yeah. Could I not do that with healthcare? Could I not do that with medicines? So there's something about, you know, Wigan's done the Wigan deal and it's very much about bringing community and society into also look after themselves and their communities. And that's the way forward. We can't just keep thinking, oh, well, I'll do what I want and, you know, I'll get a medicine when I'll fast yeah. fix. It's funny you should mention that actually in this next issue of our NHE magazine we have a really good article and it's called The Culture of the Safety Net and it's how people aren't taking their health into account because they know well we have the NHS and you know if I if I get this illness or that illness from my diet or my lifestyle they'll be there to look after me and that kind of yeah. mentality is what's kind of one of the reasons we're in the kind of mess that we're in at the moment. The the key to me is health psychology. You know, a lot of my um, colleagues, a lot of my clients jump on the bandwagon of let's do digital. Mm -hmm. And digital is great. You know, you've got something in your hand, let's use it. But it's only great if you know what is going on in the person's heart and their head. What are their beliefs? What are their behaviours? Running down a channel that says, oh, let's use digital. If, you know, I don't want to take my medicines, I don't want to take my medicines. If I don't want to be active, I ain't going to use, you know, from, you know, couch to 5K apps or whatever. I'm just not going to engage. Yeah. So it's until we understand and and to be honest 
much as I love the health service and I think everybody's doing a fantastic job, I sometimes think we're very process orientated and we need to think a little bit more about how do I understand what's going through that person's brain. I've got chemotherapy patients I've worked with who won't take chemotherapy. Why? Because they've got a wedding or they've got a, they're doing a run or something and they don't want to be bald or, or disabled or whatever, you know, taking very strong chemo yeah. for three months or five months or six months. So they'll delay it, you know, and people are like, I often teach medical students, I say, why would somebody not take chemo? And they're like, they really need to think about it because mm. yeah. to them of course you're going to take chemo yeah so it's it, like listen it helps your society it helps marriage it helps being a parent trying to understand different people's perspectives and at the grand old age of 51 I'm still learning all the time as you can hear I still talk too much you don't listen enough <laughs> to me the ears are the most important organ in the body yeah you know? I suppose that does sort of come a little bit into the communication side of it as well. As you say, digital and this push for that's great for convenience, but actually sort of putting that in the frame of, well, we want you to do this, we want you to change and meet your responsibilities, but this is why, as you were saying earlier, framing it in life steps and key moments for them, it's a lot easier for people to rationalise. If they actually listen to that, they probably will go, you know what, that's actually not... I'm not being asked to sign away my life, I'm being asked to think about it and go... It's, it's contribution. Yeah. And, and to be honest, the, the vast majority of people... Um, not always, but will feel better when they've given rather than taken. You know, yeah. there's, there's there's a psychology in there. You know, there's something about doing that. Um, so, yeah, and I, th- I think we need to be... The, the whole digital thing, I think, is really fascinating. Um, and I think it will help people. But like anything, one size does not fit all. Yeah. Yeah. There are still people who want print. There are still people who want face-to-face meetings. I did work for the Department of Health many years ago. And we were looking to conglom- bring together conglomerate. Is that the right word? Uh, a whole bunch of services. And we were talking to patients about their view on it. And uh, this older man... And said to me, he said, Mark, it's a really nice idea to have a one-stop shop where I can have three or four tests in one morning. He said, but I'm retired. I love spreading tests out over the <laughs> month and going to four different places and getting on the bus, which is free, and having a laugh and talking to people. I said, well, that's very nice, but you know, they're not your needs. That's your wants. Yeah. And the need of society is to do this in a cheaper, more economical way. So I'm not saying go nuts and listen to everything because yeah. you know we, we can't do everything that people want. But as you say, bring it into that conversation of we can't have any departments in every hospital we can't have maternity services in every hospital um, so we need to and we need to depoliticize some of this stuff as well um, it's about quality care not about quantity care yeah what are your feelings then on the recent um, ideas of because obviously you're a pharmacist and it's recently come out about people pushing for going to your pharmacist instead of going to your GP for minor minor issues maybe I don't know earache migraines stomach ache those kind of things that people think go to your pharmacist and maybe they can help you saving the NHS money not wasting GP's time I'm not saying that they are but do you know what I mean yeah no it's and to be honest it's about you know we've got physician assistants we've got walk-in centres and all these different things that people have tried we've got going back to the app stuff um, I think to me the default position should always be self-care and self-management what can I do for myself you know I'm I remember my mum and stuff saying, oh, if you've got a cold, as I have just now, you know, do menthol crystals and, you know, tuck up in bed and have a couple of aspirin or paracetamol or whatever it is. I think we've become a little bit of a nanny state and a little bit, oh, I've got a cut on my finger, I'll go to A&E. Not quite. Yes. But I think we need to very much educate people that, you know, first and foremost, it's yourself, it's your family, and then, you know, the, the escalator of need, you know, not just turning up at A&E because I can't get through to the GP or whatever it may be. 
back to pharmacy yeah very much so I, I believe I've been out of pharmacy a wee while but I believe in Scotland funny accents and all that uh, they've been doing minor ailment schemes for a while okay um, but I think it comes back to competence and to cost effectiveness so if you're shifting the burden of care to other parts of the system are they competent and is it indeed cost effective so I'm not so worried about job titles or roles there's something for me that says yeah if it's the same quality of care or better and it happens to be cheaper and or more uh, more convenient which often community pharmacy is then that makes a lot of sense but I don't think it's about job roles it's about abilities yeah um, and sort of innovations such as these and that they come through not just people in this country sort of looking at it and going oh that's a good idea a lot of it comes through sort of experience learning from other sort of uh, healthcare systems around the world because we all have our own very different problems um, I remember being at an NHS Confed um, Expo not that long ago listening to a guest speaker they had there from Japan talking about their healthcare service very different mm-hmm. uh, problems very different benefits they had um, I know some of the things you've done in the past have seen you to have communication globally with these sort of things is that um something you see a lot of as well learning not just from internally but learning abroad yeah I mean there's, there's tons of stuff like you I mean I, I, I was very I, I do some work for Innovate UK and went on a digital health mission to Japan and to South Korea uh, near about near this time last year and some really innovative stuff actually funny enough do I say this more in South Korea than in Japan mm-hmm. the latter seems to copy a little bit uh, whereas the, the South Korea seems to genuinely innovate I mean you've got 25 million people living in Seoul you yeah. need to have innovative ways of getting people access to healthcare. So they've gone very digital and doing some really interesting stuff there. And I remember a few years ago speaking to colleagues at the Health Foundation, they said, you know, we're looking for some new ideas. What could we have, Mark? I said, well, let's have a prize for sharing or copying even better. If, you know, even within our own country, without looking globally, there are there are pockets of great practice. You know, here in Manchester, Salford Royal, you know, there's there's lots of stuff happening that if every NHS trust or every GP surgery or every community pharmacy or every hospice picked up the best practice, we'd all get a lot better so I I sometimes think with innovation we get very focused on the invention and the shiny shiny side and look at new stuff Mm -hmm. whereas if we could just look more closely at our neighbours and see the best practice they're doing and simply replicate it get over this not invented here stuff I mean I have a whole thing about Tesco's I don't know if I'm advertising or any major (laughs) supermarket yeah Yeah, our options are available yes thank you so when I go into a large supermarket um, near me you know there's, there's vegetables there's bread there's tin goods there's alcohol not that I spend much time there I hasten to add there's iron brew again there are other brands available but there's a massive kosher section because there's a large Jewish population where I live equally down the road there's a large Polish population what I'd love to see is an NHS that is just a little bit more regimented, a little bit more command and control. Uh, yes, we need to take local variation into account, but I'd just like to see a little bit un- more uniformity. Could all nurses, whether they're matrons, sisters or whatever, wear the same colour uniform? And let's get some bulk purchase discounts on doing that. So I do think, and maybe I'm just naive in that, but I do think we could just we could be a little bit more national in the NHS. What kind of benefits do you think that would bring? 
Well, I think cost effectiveness. You know, I mean, procurement in the NHS is is a is a beast. I don't really understand. You know, um, but I'd love to see the Monopolies Commission go to the NHS and say you're doing a bit too much monopoly stuff. There just seems too many buying hubs and too many buyers and too many processes. And I think we need to short circuit some of that uh, for economic benefit. But also, can you imagine you know going into a hospital and knowing that the signage is roughly the same, mm. like the the supermarket analogy? And I know it's difficult with Victorian sites and lots. Of lots of different sites but being able to have a little bit of uniformity in a national system can't be bad for the staff within it nor for us as patients and, and family members trying to navigate often complex environments yeah like you say with a little bit of uniformity you, you start to tackle one of probably the biggest issues you get in the nhs which is sort of difference from area to area yeah if it's a more uniform approach then you're joining that together um so sort of looking forward a bit from that is that sort of an area you're hoping to see be one of the next big things the NHS does tackle, bring that, or are there other areas that you maybe go, that's the next big thing that we need to sort of aim for? So it's interesting, uh, and it, it ties together a couple of the themes that we've been talking about. So the, the big thing I'm looking at at the moment is, is health coaching. Uh, in its broadest term, and that means motivational interviewing, uh, it means you know listening techniques. Many of our healthcare professionals go into the caring professions to do that, i.e. care. Yeah. And when someone comes to you, and forgive the basic analogy, but when someone says to me, I'm hungry, you want to feed them. You're a caregiver. Yeah. That's what you've gone into that profession for. Yeah. Primarily. There are it's other an instinct. Reasons. Yeah. You want, to, you want to give someone, and it's like a parent thing. It's a parent-child stuff. So I'm hungry, give you something to eat. Mm-hmm. What I'm looking at now, and we're doing some work hopefully with community pharmacy staff, interestingly enough, and it's an online learning module of six hours. They don't need to come out of the shops, they don't need to come out of their workplace, but they can do this six one-hour modules by video at their own speed, is to teach them how to have 30-second, two-minute and five-minute interventions with patients and family members and carers about what matters to them, not to them, not, not take your medicine, what's your disease. So I think if we begin to move the health service a lot more into these conversations, I, mean, I remember speaking to a, a pulmonologist, a respiratory consultant, he said, Mark, it's taking me 10 years to pluck up the courage to talk to some of my patients about not smoking. Yeah. Because what I do is I, I, I deal with the results of them smoking, mm. but it's taking me a long time to build up the courage and the knowledge and the confidence to be able to have some of these conversations about telling them not to do it in the first place. So I think prevention is massive. Yeah. I think societal and community uh, what's the word energy and, and building that to do stuff rather than as we've said earlier just like waiting to NHS but you need your patients to want to do that and you need your healthcare professionals to know how to support that as well so to me the next big thing is is health coaching is prevention is that community development stuff and not just more of the same and doing it better I think dare I say such a thing I think less medicine and less technology in the NHS and healthcare and more person and people focused healthcare I think will do us all and not just our purse a, a great benefit. Which is sort of a message we're starting to see come out more and more this move or shift as you say as weird as it sounds in the healthcare service away from healthcare and treatment towards this well-being before this preventive issues because there's probably no more cost effective way than stopping people needing the treatment um, it does just come down to that message I think. 
it's, to me, it goes back to my point. We've said it throughout. It's about health psychology. It's about health psychology of clinicians, of managers, of patients and the public. You know, and I, I didn't eat a great breakfast this morning. You know, I'm a bit sad. I've got the cold and all the rest of it. So what I need to do is talk to, you know, my wife and my kids about, okay, can we reduce some of the triggers that are in the house? Yeah. We don't need to, do we need to really have biscuits in the house? Because I don't know sometimes when not to eat them. Well, I know not to eat them ever. But sometimes <laughs> I'll succumb. But if they're not there, I'm not going to eat them. Oh, yeah. So I think the food industry, to have a, a bit of a dig at that, has a huge societal responsibility. Um, I think we really, we really need to do something about, you know, not necessarily sugar taxes, but it's something about, guys, come on, stop making it so easy and so tempting. Yeah, it's almost to bring in something we hear completely different sense from when we do um, public sector executive podcasts in this studio as well. We hear a lot about social value for um, products and getting sort of key society messages into projects that are big investment things. It's almost like we need to introduce that into sort of the, the food industry, into the healthcare industry that actually that's a great product, that's a great thing. What else are you adding in to add the sort of societal offset for it? It's, it's yeah, responsibility before profit or yeah. aligned with profit I'm not quite sure but you know they're, they're I feel like aligned is probably the one yes. they'll take yes <laughs> yeah. so one of the things that we kind of champion here is the Northern Powerhouse and things that are going on within that area and within that agenda so what do you think makes this kind of area the North in general special in terms of things like healthcare and, and um, social enterprise and things like that yeah well there's there's a, there's a, there's a Northern industrial feel definitely in Manchester um, and we've just finished a 90-day accelerator with a pharmaceutical company, uh, a big, a big uh, IT company, and a little local company around the corner from here, actually called Push Doctor, mm-hmm. and we supported a cohort of of scale-up companies to to understand the NHS, to sell more product, dare I say, and help patients. They're not yeah. separate things, <laughs> uh, and I'm now looking to do the same in Leeds. Uh, not that I'm abandoning Manchester, Manchester's lovely and Salford where I live, but there's really an interesting, the, the Leeds has got a lot of interesting stuff that's happening there, you know, NHSX, NHS Digital, a shared care record, which Salford also has, but there's some really interesting stuff happening, so if there's any listeners out there who are interested in supporting a health tech accelerator in Leeds, get in touch with you, get in touch with me, whatever, but uh, there's definitely something about the bottleneck in the south mm-hmm. that we don't have here. There's uh, the, the population, and we're much friendlier than all of them down south as well. <laughs> you know? Yeah, well, I mean, I feel like we get that in Scottish accent on that side, Newcastle on this side, yeah. we've sort of just got to cover that side of it. Definitely. definitely. Um, I think, obviously, we've talked about quite a bit of the negativity around the NHS and around healthcare at the moment and what needs fixed. That doesn't necessarily cover that there is a lot of good that's happening in healthcare too. So are you still optimistic and positive about the future of healthcare and the country going forward over the next few years? Yeah, I think this this whole integrated care systems, ICSs, ICPs, whatever other academic, you know, accountable care organisations, yeah. i.e. bringing all stuff together to look at people and populations, I think is fantastic. I think the further we can get away from individual pathways and niche specialisms, as I can't even say, <laughs> uh, the, the, the better it will be. I think there's some... St- issues around payments there's still issues around you know tariff and all these different things so I think we need the incentives and the rewards and the payment mechanisms to align but I, I think that's a really great move primary care networks are a new kid on the block I'm not so sure about that to be honest um, I think primary care has an awful lot of stuff to do already without you know trying to manage outwards as we said never mind start managing upwards so I have a wee bit of a concern about that but I do think the integrated care stuff is really quite positive positive. Yeah. Uh, and as long as we can get the pricing 
pricing mechanisms to align, I think we're on a winner there. Are you hopeful for things in, in the world of tech? Because obviously we saw yesterday two major NHS services moved completely to the cloud. Is that, is that something, I know you've talked about it, but would you like to see all NHS services move to the cloud or...? I don't really know what moving to the cloud means. <laughs> it sounds all very, you know, it's like somebody said to me, hey, the cloud is just a computer in the cloud. I'm like, oh, well, okay. Yeah, no, we, we need a lot more technology. I, I met a company last week uh, who's got a digital key solution. Uh, you know, instead of running around wards shouting, where's, who's, got, who's got the, you know, the drugs, cabinet keys, you know, and all that stuff. Yeah, it's, it just makes a lot more sense. So I think digital will come. Um, I think it goes back to this, the key running, the key, huh, running through this, which is let's do it from a Person and a patient perspective, not just profit. So let's do let's agree large deals where appropriate at a good cost for you know good price for the NHS that benefits patients as well as the staff. So yeah, I'm all for digital, but not for its own sake. It goes back to that point. If it's better quality and better price, let's invest, uh, not just because it happens to be the new kid on the block and the new technology. So, yeah, uh, it, it's sort of what we heard the message from um, Lord Victor Wally, who we spoke to recently as well on a podcast, and it was very much the same there. By all means, get innovation, and it's great, it progresses forward, but it's got to be for the right reasons, yeah. which is the patient. And staff, I think it's yeah. really, I mean, NHS staff uh, do a fantastic job. They really do. Uh, I was one. I, I'm, a, I'm a patient public governor for the Northern Care Alliance, and I see some of the stuff that people do there. It's just phenomenal. You know, these are, uh, you know, and again, it's about let give them more time to care, free them up from meetings, free them up from filling in documentation and having to look upward and answer to, to, to the whatever the I would yeah whatever yeah. those those the larger right, yeah, the hierarchy yeah. uh, and let them get more time to care free yeah. time to care certainly and it's not even necessarily just the care treating NHS staff I know myself I spent several years working in um, our records as part of it at the very base level yeah. and there's some efficiencies there that could certainly be made that this innovation will bring about that like you say frees us up and frees everyone else up to give yeah. the best care to the patient exactly it's one of the things that Tracy Bell came on and said about she wants to spend less time in meetings she thinks that everybody could do to spend less time in meetings more time with the patients working on actual healthcare. Oh, Tracy's great Tracy's great and I think that's the important thing people at Tracy need to shake the system up a little bit mm-hmm. and we need to say things like is this meeting really necessary do we need all these people at the meeting and I've often gone to meetings with 24, 30, 40 people at it and thinking hello is this really necessary yeah. and we need to do something someone said something to me years ago and said rather than the unit of a meeting being one hour could we make it 15 minutes and I met a lady last week only by phone she was in Switzerland and we literally finished our meeting in 12 minutes Yeah. Yeah. she spent the first three minutes outlining what she did I spent a bit longer five minutes saying what this and I made four minutes saying what her actions were I mean I was like wow man yeah Yeah. and I said to her this was great yeah (laughs) Yeah. so you know that there's something about you know uh, do we really need to do so many meetings one of the things I've noticed is having travelled in about six or eight countries in the first six months of last year I noticed the dirtiest cities were, were British cities really? around the globe. I've been to Bratislava and Copenhagen and Basel, uh, Tokyo, Seoul, all right, literally. I came back here and that place is strewn with litter. And I thought to myself, if we could have more British pride 
and more societal responsibility. So we didn't litter or we picked up what we saw. And I've now started a couple of groups locally to try and do that. I think we just feel a lot better. Mm. So I don't know. It, I don't know where it fits. People into might service. want to spend more time outside. Yeah, there's just something, and, and it's so easy to say, oh it's, oh, it's the it's the council. There's not enough bins. There's not this and next thing. But I have to say, it's really you know, I'm now into the litter world and mm. I'm picking up litter yeah. all the time. But well, it makes a difference. They they said yesterday, didn't they, that they're putting a lot of um, effort now into a greener NHS. Things like air pollution have a an immediate knock-on effect on to health. Things mm. like. <laughs> respiratory problems and uh, strokes and asthma yeah. so if if we if we change it from from that perspective from the air pollution kind of perspective uh, in turn we're going to end up having a healthier healthier population yeah pick pick it up don't pass it up or get out and pick up some litter i mean i go out with my little kids now and we have we have such a riot and it's teaching them green mm-hmm. it's getting them out it's doing a little bit of exercise I mean, it's not huge exercise but at least it's not in front of a screen yeah you know so sunday mornings for an hour you know the only thing is it rains too much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're in the wrong country for litter picking, yeah. aren't we? We are, but as you say, sort of you clean up the streets, it makes it makes a difference that you not you see you see somewhere with you like you say a bit of pride that it doesn't seem as depressing when it is chucking it down and grey skies mm. and every other natural problem we can't affect in Manchester it yeah. seems at the moment. Yeah. Um yeah, so just to sort of wrap up the show, thank you so much for being on. No, been a delight to talk to. We've had Likewise. a really interesting sort of conversation across it, a really honest and open conversation. I think our listeners will probably appreciate more than anything. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, from myself and I'm sure from Emily, thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks for making the time as well. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by Evo North, uniting leaders from the public and private sector to collaborate, share exciting innovations, and build a stronger northern powerhouse together. Join the chat on social media using the hashtag WeAreNHE or send us an email via the link on our website. If you enjoyed today's podcast and discussion, don't forget to subscribe or give us a rating on whatever streaming service you're using. Thanks for listening. See you next time.